Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, you heroes, hawks, heralds, crows, pirates, and wardens. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we unpack, discuss, and galaxy brain about all the lore behind the Dragon Age series. We are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe, from character deep dives to exalted marches and elven gods. We will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hello, and welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast, where we talk about Dragon Age and its lore. I am one of your hosts, Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm your other host, Shelby or Sheacup. And we are back for our first podcast in the year 2024. I mean, it's the first podcast we're recording in 2024, but not the first episode we've released in 2024. That is true. I have (laughs) misspoken. I forgot. It was not 2024 when I last recorded the episode, but this is the first recorded episode recorded in 2024, and we're continuing with our Elven Gods series. So I'm going to let Shelby introduce the topic that we're talking about because I am not 100% sure how to say this name. Yeah, um, you were confident in it earlier before I said something about how you continue to mispronounce this person's name. And so now I see that you're um, insecure about it, but that's okay. I'll give us a pronunciation guide. So we are talking about Gilanon. And you know what? I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly because we don't have a pronunciation guide for this one. Um, so we're just making our best educated guesses. But it is a little bit confusing because there is an apostrophe and it's in a place you wouldn't typically expect an apostrophe to be, which is okay. Um, but that makes it a little bit confusing. But it's G-H-I-L-A-N apostrophe N-A-I-N. So I pronounce that as Gilanon. Um, so Gilanon is an elven god, 
we've talked about her before in our creatures series. Um, I think when we talked about the hala, because she's the one that's credited with creating the hala, but there are several different myths around Gilanon's creation, ascendance to godhood, etc., um, which we'll get into a little bit later. But the reason why I put her in today's episode slot is because last week we talked about Andriel and it is said often in lore that Gilanon and Andriel are uh, married in a relationship, life partners, whatever you want to call it. It's not really clearly defined in the lore, but they are a pair themselves. So we paired them together week after week. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm excited to learn about because if I remember, and I'm sure we'll talk about this, this is the only time we get a like mortal ascending to godhood other than like Andraste's story. Yeah, there's um, there's one other one, I think maybe two other ones that are uh, potentially that way, but um, it's a little bit more ambiguous or like lesser occurrences of that idea in the lore. Whereas with this one, it's like people, most people believe that about Gilanot. So it's a little bit different. So let's get into the fun facts a little bit. So the first one I have is one of my favorite fun facts of all time. Um, and that is that in the Frostback Basin DLC, you can find a shrine that was built by Inquisitor Ameridan himself, who, if you remember, was the first Inquisitor. He was a seeker, of, of course, and he was also an elf. Now, the shrine that he built was dedicated to both Andraste and Gilanon. So it really reflects both his heritage as an elf and whatever belief he had or reverence for the elven gods, as well as his belief in Andrastianism, or at least his participation in it. Um, so I think that that is just a really fun little shrine we have that totally explains that um, dual side of Inquisitor Emeritan. Because he did live in human society and, um, you know, it wasn't like he was really put down because he was he was besties with Emperor Draken and Orlay. So and, you know, it's a big scandal. And I think with Emeritan, because history remembers Inquisitor Emeritan as this like human warrior who like comes and conquers and founds the Seekers and leads the Inquisition when in reality he was an elven mage. Mm -hmm. and that's it's a big deal i am curious and maybe the episode will tell why uh gillanon mm -hmm. like why that why her why that why her yeah well we'll talk about it um so my other fun fact that i have is that in trespasser dlc it's interesting also that both of my fun facts today come from dlc but Anyway, so in Trespasser, there is an achievement that you can get called Lateral Thinker, and you get it for solving four riddles that unlock loot boxes under or near these ancient elven statues. Well, there is a riddle in the Darvarad, and that I think it can be interpreted to be about Gilanon, um, Andriel, and perhaps even the Dreadwolf. So this is what the riddle says. One sees the hunter. One flees from it, one hunts it in turn, and one outwits them all. So I think that you can argue that um, Andriel is the one that hunts the hunter, 
uh, the Dread Wolf is the one that outwits them all. And then perhaps Gilanon is the one that runs away. Um, mm. So I just think that that's a fun little anecdote, a little riddle. Maybe we'll see more uh, little lore snippets of, of those things in the upcoming game. Who knows? Maybe. So anyway, those are my fun facts for the day. Um, unless you have any other fun facts you want to add, I say let's jump into her general bio. Um, I just want to make a clarification uh, because I can I can feel the internet typing right now. I did say that Gilanon is one of our only examples of a mortal ascending to godhood. And I can feel the people who would say, well, Solus says they were all mortals. None of them mm -hmm. were, none of them were gods. And I just want to acknowledge that, yes, Solus does say that. And I know that Patrick Weeks has gone and said that Solus doesn't lie. But just because he's not lying doesn't mean he's telling the full story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think in this season, and this is something we talked about at the beginning of this season, like we're taking what the people believe like we're not going into what solace says we're not breaking down all of the things solace says about the evanuris we are looking at the evanuris in a lens of belief systems so we're we're looking at them as a pantheon as a body that is worshipped so whether or not what the truth is is not irrelevant to this season, but it's not the primary focus of this season. We're much more interested in what the Dalish believe about these gods, how Dalish worship of these gods uh, manifests. So that's more of our focus. But yeah, that is a good correction. So thank you for bringing that up. So let's get into names and symbols that are associated with Gilanon. And I think first and primarily is her name, Mother of the Hala. So this is really her primary name. Like all of the gods have their name and then several other titles that follow. Hers is pretty much just this one, which is quite a contrast to Andriel, who has like 20 bajillion. Um, but she's that doesn't just mean she's only a god over the Hala. She's also the goddess of guides, navigation, and safe and quick travel. Um, but she also has a major um, association and affinity for all of the creatures in Thetis. And there are many that, that has been said that she created them. So she's also very much a goddess of creation, even though technically that kind of title would go to Elgernon. That's very much her affinity in her domain as well. So like many of the other elven gods, Gilanon is also historically associated with a constellation. Hers is the constellation Equinor, which is often referred to as the stallion. I find this ironic because the girl is a lesbian, um, but the elves, the elves believe that the depiction is a hala rather than a stallion, as the humans say. Um, so that makes it make a little bit more sense, but others still have referred to it and claim it to be a griffin. So we're not really sure what this constellation actually is, but some kind of four-legged creature that is associated with like riding, um, 
travel, transportation, all of these things. So that's a little bit about the constellation Equinor. Now, let's get into her roles in relationships among the Evanuris, because the really interesting thing with Gilanon is that we have really we have two different mythos surrounding her. We have two completely different creation myths about how she came into being. So we'll go through them both and then we can kind of discuss which one we think is more likely, which one we like better, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So let's talk about the first one. The first one is that Gilanon was originally one of the elven people in the days before Arlathon. So a very, very, very long time ago. And so this, this says that she is, she was a mortal elf, just a regular everyday elven person um, before Arlathan. So that means, um, we also have depictions of her appearance. She was very beautiful with snowy white hair. Um, it's said that she was graceful as a gazelle and always followed the ways of Andriel. And because of this, Andriel favored her. Well, one day when Gilanon was out hunting, she came across a hunter who had killed a hawk. We do not know if this hunter was elven or human, but I am assuming that it was most likely elven based on the timing, since we know that in this myth, she was said to be a mortal elf. However, it could also be a dwarf, since we know that the dwarven race is also indigenous to Thetis. Um, but the myth does not say the race of this hunter. We just know that this hunter killed a hawk. And Gilanon came across this hunter who had killed the hawk, and the hunter refused to make an offering to Andriel in recompense for the, for the killing of the hawk. And so Gilanon cursed him. And so the hunter was then unable to hunt, and he hatched a plan to lure Gilanon away into the woods, which he pretty much did successfully. And so as a result of this, he um, his plan was to bind her and blind her, which he did. Um, but he was unable to actually kill her because of the curse. Um, and so the hunter just leaves Gilanon. She he left for dead in the woods tied up, um, tortured, you know, just horrible situation all, all around. Um, so Gilanon is left in the woods and the codex says this about what happens next. And Gilanon prayed to the gods for help. She prayed to Elgernon for vengeance, to Mother Mithal to protect her. But above all, she prayed to Andriel. Andriel sent her hairs to Gilanon, and they chewed through the ropes that bound her. But Gilanon was still wounded and still blind and could not find her way home. So Andriel turned her into a beautiful white deer, the first Hala. And Gilanon found her way back to her sisters and led them to the hunter, who was brought to justice. And since that day, the Hala have guided the people and have never led us astray, for they listened to the voice of Gilanon. So this comes from the mother of the Hala Codex in Dragon Age Origins. So just to sum it up, Gilanon is a human elf, or a, a human, a mortal elf. She, uh, comes across a hunter who refuses to make an offering to Andriel after killing a hawk. 
Gilanon curses him. He retaliates, tries to kill her, but he can't. Gilanon prays. The gods rescue her. Andriel turns her into the very first Hala. And then the Hala are loyal to the elves forevermore. So that's the first myth. And the second myth is pretty significantly different. And so it's a lot more godlike, if you understand what I mean. Maybe you'll get that after I talk about it a little bit. But basically, Gilanon was born with a special power. Um, and she also was a mortal elf in this story. And so because of her special powers, she was kept isolated from the people. And the power that she had is that she was able to create animals that no one had ever seen before. One might even be tempted to say monsters. They were everywhere, the Codex says. She had just created all of these creatures. Um, and the Codex says specifically that the skies teemed with her monsters, the land with her beasts. Andriel hunted them all. And so after a while of this, Andriel approached Gilanon with an offer of godhood. And so the Evanuris basically were like, we will share our power with you, but only if you destroy all your creatures, because they're just too dangerous. You're wreaking havoc on Thetis. Like, we just can't have this. And so Gilanon accepts, and the Evanuris give her three days to undo or kill even all of her creations. And this is what the Codex says about her actions. On the first day, she struck down the monsters of the air, except for those she presented to Andriel as a gift. On the second day, she drowned the giants of the sea, except those in deep waters, for they were too well wrought, and pride, capital P, stopped her hand. On the third day, she killed the beasts of the land, except the Hala, whose grace she loved above all else. This is how Gilanon was made the youngest of the gods, end quote. And this one comes from the Ascension of Gilanon Codex in Dragon Age Inquisition. So let me just sum it up, touch on some themes, and then we can kind of break them down. So the first myth, actually, let me just talk about some similarities. So Andriel is in both of them. Gilanon is a mortal elf in both of them. Gilanon is a devout follower of the Evanuris in both of them. And I think that's, well, actually, the Hala are in both of them. And I think that that's where the similarities end. In the second one, it's much more God-focused. Obviously, she ascends to Godhood. The first one doesn't necessarily say, really, that she ascends to Godhood. It says that she became the first Hala. What happens after? Is she immortal? We don't really know. And then, of course, in the first one, we have this trauma of her being followed and punished and almost murdered um, by this hunter who wanted to punish her. Whereas in the second one, there is also this element of punishment, but not necessarily because she did something wrong or out of any kind of like sexism or misogyny or, or any anything like that, but because her creations were causing chaos in the land. Um, and she got a reward for accepting to, you know, 
and her creatures' lives. So they're very, very different creation myths. And I'm just really curious, which of the two myths do you find more likely lore-wise? Which sticks out to you as more compelling? And just anything else you want to add about these two creation myths? Well, I want to start with like a big like contrast that I see just in general with how many like creation God myths I've read over my lifetime in my education. The first myth reads like a standard explanation for why things are the way they are, why the Hala seems so bound to the elves, all of this thing. It's very much reads to me like an indigenous myth of explaining why things are the way they are. The second story, like you said, feels more godlike. It feels more like a classic Greco-Roman mythology story than the first one does. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also just like in the general, in the general theme of things in Greek myths, gods are not typically like portrayed as the kindest individuals. Sometimes they'll say they took pity or do that, but most of the time in those myths, it is someone being punished for something that they did to wrong the gods. Mm-hmm. In the first myth, we have a effort of kindness and this big connect connection with nature and that these natures, I think, this is what I think. I think that the first myth is older in Dalish mythology. Its story comes from much earlier period of the Evan Earth and the Elven culture. And the second one is a later one mm-hmm. that where the Evan Earths are viewed with more power and they want to explain kind of their power. That's what I think. Which one is more likely lore wise? I think that it's hard to tell because we don't really like, we don't have a good gauge of what even if the Evan Nurse are made, as like Solus says, we don't have a good gauge of what the limits of their power are. It's hard to say like which one is more likely from a magic standpoint, because we we haven't seen any of those other than like shape-changing magic within Mythal's family only. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just have a lot of thoughts. Um, the first one that I want to touch on is I think I I agree with you. If we're looking at this from a lore perspective, I would agree that the second myth is probably a later myth, um, whereas the first one is an earlier one. And that is also true outside of lore, because the first myth we discussed comes from origins, while the second one comes from inquisition. So, again, that tracks. Um, But the thing I want to touch on is in the first one, the Evanuris, they're not mentioned. Only Andriel is mentioned. And Andriel isn't, she doesn't take a proactive role. She, at first, hears Gilanon's prayers and says, oh, yeah, ha- rabbits, hares, y'all go take care of this. She'll be fine. And she's not fine. And so Gilanon prays again and is like, hey, like, I, I'm, I'm screwed. Like, I need help, more help. And that's when Andriel, like, doesn't really help her. She just turns her into a holla. Um, 
And so the Evanuris as a pantheon are not involved. It's like, again, it's just Andriel. Whereas in the second one, the Evanuris themselves approach Gilanon. They are taking on a much more active role. And I think that's really significant because it ties into exactly what you're saying as they probably, if this is later, wanted to be more assertive, more dominant. And also in addition to that is again, Andriel in the first myth, she just sent some people to help. And then she has one magic moment at the end. Whereas in in the get-go from the second one, the Evanuris are like, okay, we'll make you like us. We'll give you our power because our power is so much greater than anybody else's. How could you refuse us? There's just this one little thing we want you to do, which is give up all your creations, all the things you've worked really hard for, give up your passions, just get rid of those, kill, murder, all of your beloved creations, and then you can join us and get unlimited power. Um, So I think that that is, it's just so hugely different in tone and in like thematically um, that I just find it very interesting. And I do think that the reason is because the Evanuris want to be more assertive, more dominant, more feared even. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say from like an outside, taking this from like as a study of like a religion, typically a religion like in a group moves from point to point. So like your earlier writings tend to have less details. They tend to have less you know, for quote, for lack of a better word, theology, they have less like articulated theology. It's not that there's not theology in there. It's just less stated. Mm -hmm. um, and a great example of this in, in our time is when you look at the Christian Bible, when you compare the gospel of Mark versus the gospel of John, there's about 30 years between the writing of those gospels, we think. And so like that, there's a big difference. Mark has way fewer details than John does. John has, he mentions similar things that happen, but he puts his own spin on the gospel there. I think it's a similar thing going mm -hmm. on here from Alora. It's like, it's like, oh, we have this story of Andrew. Well, we really need to emphasize like this needs to fall in line with what we believe about the Pantheon. And I think that one of the points that you brought up that I really like is that Andrew in the first myth is acting alone. And in the second myth, she is acting on behalf of the Evanuris as a group. They, The Evanuris are offering godhood, not Andriel. Yeah, and I mean, even in the first one, I don't even think you can say Andriel offers godhood in the first one. She just gets turned into a hala, and it's not said if that hala becomes immortal. It's not said if that hala is still alive. It's not said. Um, it just says that Gilanon found her way back to her sisters. We don't know if she was Gilanon or if she was the hala, if she could like change. Like, we're not given that information. I think I agree with you completely in that the second myth has so many more details, even if I think it's technically shorter. There are so many more details, like every word of the second myth is important and like laden with meaning. Whereas in the first one, it's just very much more just the story. The second the second myth almost reads like this uh, Faustian bargain 
you yeah, know, like the, very much trade this for power. And like, we're not really told the consequences of, I mean, there are consequences. Gilanon gets sent away and locked away with the rest of the Evanuris. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that idea that like, oh, like just give up this thing that you don't actually think is valuable for this power, but really what you gave up is more valuable. The whole myth around Rumpelstiltskin is an excellent example of what I'm talking about. Um, Yeah, for sure. Well, let's move on from this creation myth topic. Um, And let's just leave it at, we don't know which one is true. Um, Maybe we'll get more lore in the future that clarifies or hell, maybe even we'll get, we'll get a third creation myth for Gilanon. But right now let's just leave it at, Gilanon is part of the Evanuris. She's associated with creating creatures, specifically the Hala. So, in addition to these two creation myths, we also have another interesting codex that contains a snippet about life among the Evanuris. Um, I think this comes from the Ancient Elven Writing Codex entry. And so, basically, the codex says this. He took on a form reserved for the gods and their chosen and dared to fly in the shape of the divine. The codex is essentially about a person who committed treason against the Evanuris. We're not sure that person is not named. Um, you can definitely interpret this to be about Fenherel Solus, but... I'm not sure it's about him. Regardless, the Codex continues on giving us a bit more context regarding the individual members of the Evanuris and their response to this person who committed treason. So the Codex says this, the sinner belongs to Durthamon. He claims he took wings at the urging of Gilanon and begs protection from Mithal. She does not show him favor. And we'll let Elgernon judge him. So I think, in and I bring this up, it's not significant. It's not um, a major thing. It's just a throwaway line. But I bring it up because I believe that it shows us a little bit of a mischievous side of Gilanon, where this sinner, this uh, person who committed treason, claims that he can't be held responsible for what he did because Gilanon told him to. And, uh, you know, Gilanon, just for telling a regular person to do something, isn't going to be held accountable by the Evanuris for that. Really, she's not doing anything wrong. The man is the person who's responsible. Um, But it's interesting that it's brought up because also, like, how could... Like, where do we see this mischievous side of her in other ways? We'll get into some of that later when we talk about Deventer Nights, but I just want listeners and you, Austin, to keep in mind that she's not this naive little girl um, that just ascended to godhood because she was just such a good follower of the Evanuris. Um, She has an aspect of her, but she's also got a lot deeper personality here, which we'll get into later. Um, did you have thoughts about this codex before we move on a little bit? Um, just in general, of uh, just the he took a form reserved for the gods and their chosen and dared to fly in the shape of the divine. I'm sorry. I know I feel gonna feel like a broken record here because I say it everything, but again, is this a dragon? Yeah, I think that's is, fair because it's 
It's only through Flemethal and Morrigan that we see the ability to change into a dragon. We know that historically in Thetis, that dragons have had some weird connections to multiple religions. It's just interesting to me. Um, and now I have a new fan theory about Solus um, and when Solus woke up. But this episode is not about Solus, so we'll have to rate for uh, the Finn Harrell episode. Okay, well, we'll write it down so you don't forget it. I won't. Um, but, okay, so next is we always talk about temples and Valisleen and all of that. So we don't know of any official temples to Gilanon. Um, so most likely they've been destroyed. But we do know of the shrine that Inquisitor Emeritan built that we talked about earlier. But we also know about a location in Inquisition's Emerald Graves area, which is named Gilanon's Grove. Um, and so you have to open this section via the war table. And there are some comments from Engineer Bernardine's report to Commander Cullen, which basically just says... There are elven ruins present in this area, but largely they are structurally unsound with very recent damage and claw marks specifically. So I'm not sure we can argue, oh, Gilanon's done it again. She's created another monster and it was here um, because there are a lot of other explanations for, for recent claw marks in the Emerald Graves. Like there are bears literally everywhere. Um, but I do think this is an area that would be an interesting short story or would be an interesting little lore tidbit um, if they wanted to build on to this. So I, that's why I bring it up. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, before our mid-break is the Valisline. And so Gilanon's Valisline is actually very simple. It is a V-shaped crest between the eyebrows with branches shooting off that extend over and above the eyebrows and onto the forehead. And there is not a complex version. This it just, it's the only one, um, which I find interesting because I think it's the most simple design of all of the designs. And, you know, for, for an elf who is said to be very devout, ascended into godhood, I think that it lends credence that her Valisleen are the most simple and perhaps the least cruel Valisleen to get tattooed lends credence to Solus's argument that they are slave markings. Hmm. Do you disagree? No, I don't disagree at all. Oh, okay. Your little huh sounded like, I don't know if I agree with you there. No, I just don't believe anything Solus says. Why? I just don't trust Solus. I mean, I think that. I mean, I think that you can. I think you can be distrustful of him, but also to say that you don't believe anything he says is insane because he's been proven correct many times over in the lore so far, and his writer has said Solus doesn't lie. He bends the truth and manipulates you into thinking what he's saying is about something else when it's really about this thing that's in front of your face. So it's not that he's lying about everything. That's fair. I should give a little more credit. I you, the criticism. You just want to be a hater of Solus. That's where we're at. I do. I do. Okay. You know what? But uh, I'm going to remember this the next time uh, William Miles comes up or uh, Lord Seeker uh, Lambert. Okay. First of all, first of all, Lord Seeker Lambert is literally the worst. 
Second of all, William Miles is so much worse than Solus. Like, I, I can't even begin to list the ways. At least Solus, like, didn't abuse his child, okay? That we know of. <sighs> so you like to read? What's wrong with that? It's frivolous. There are more important things for me to do. That's just her favorite. Nobody asked you to winter. <laughs> I couldn't finish the last one you lent me. I actually feel dumber for having tried. It's literature. Smutty literature. Whatever you do, don't tell Varric. Mm, no offense, but might I try? I've got a quick hand, after all. Ha, let's see. Oh, when was the last time I slipped my hand into some dark hole? Hmm. I remember a long story, that. You hurt my head sometimes, Solus. Yes. I have been known to do that. So, welcome to the middle of the show, where we talk about all kinds of things that don't have to do with the lore of Dragon Age. Uh, and so, you know, this is the first recorded episode of 2024. I know we released an episode last week, but I just want to take this time to, you know, thank all of our listeners for the past year. Um, last year, Dragon Age Lorecast did over uh, 83,000 downloads in the year, which is amazing. And I never thought we would be able to do when I first started out on this podcast two years ago, three years ago. Just from both of us, we've loved being a part of this fandom, playing these games, doing this podcast, meeting all the people who come on the Discord. Uh, we couldn't do this without you all listening and downloading. So thank you so much for that support. Uh, do you have anything you want to say, Shelby? Yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody who listens and supports the show. We're super thankful for you. And um, Austin, just for reference, we started the show in 2021. So yes, this is three years. Three years. So this is also where I thank our patrons, uh, especially our first patrons, Genesis and Lisa M. Um, if you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can go do that by going to patreon.com slash lorecast and signing up for our tiers. And since it is the beginning of the year, I thought it would be a good time to just do a refresher on our Patreon tiers. So at our $5 tier, we have the Fidosian which grants you ad-free and early access to episodes. You also get to vote on our patron chat topics, get your name read out on the show when you join, and access to special channels in our Discord server. And then next is the Antiven Crow tier for $10 a month. Uh, you get everything that the Thedosian gets, plus four merch stickers sent out quarterly. And then our $20 tier, the First Enchanter, you get everything that I've just mentioned. Uh, plus, you get to come on our monthly patron chat show once a month for $20 a month. Um, and then our $50 tier, the Divine tier patron, you get everything that I just said. You get your name read on every show, on, ev on every episode of the show, and an opportunity to submit monthly side character and topic suggestions. And then if you are feeling particularly generous, if you just want to be lorded above all the people uh, hailed as the omnipotent Doug King. You can sign up for a hundred dollars a month. Uh, you get everything that I just listed. You get to come on the show for a topic of your choosing. You get to pick the topic and we'll talk about it. And you get a shout out at the end of every episode, as well as in the middle of the show. So that's our Patreon tiers. Um, if you can't support us on Patreon, we get it. We, I uh, love that this content can be provided to you 
for free at no charge. Um, we just love doing that. But a great way to support us is to leave us reviews or comments on Spotify and five stars uh, that lets people know that you enjoy the show, what you enjoy about the show, and that this is a good show that they can come listen to for Dragon Age. And so today we have a Spotify comment from our Andrew episode. That was our last episode last week. Uh, it says, love your podcast. I have listened to every episode and have learned so much. Thank you for this podcast and all the research you did. Thank you so much. And that was from uh, Whiskey Slag Room. And then lastly, come and join our Discord. Come hang out with us. Come talk about Dragon Age. Come theorize about Dreadwolf. Come play Baldur's Gate with us and tell us all about your Baldur's Gate playthrough. Come check out our other shows. Discord is the place to be. It is a great place on the internet. And I believe that is all I have for the mid-break. All right. Well, let's get back into it. Abominations are always so awkward at family reunions. Have you ever seen an abomination? They are ugly. Dorian, those words you say, what do they mean? What, you mean like mendicant? Ultimatum? No arse when you're mad. Vishanti Kofas. You're swearing, I know it. Vishanti Kofas. It's Tavine, relics of the old tongue. We still use the colourful phrases. And it means what? Literally. You shit on my tongue. <laughs> oh, you fear barbarians will swoop down upon you. Yes, swooping is bad. Okay, so second half, we always talk about Dalish beliefs and, and what they say about the gods, right? Well, we don't really have a lot of like myths or stories among the Dalish. And I know we talked about part of them earlier just because we had to talk about the creation myth. Um but the Dalish have like a lot of little different legends like about Gilanon. Things like, oh, well, Gilanon did this. Or, oh, yeah, well, Gilanon was like, this is what she was interested in. And things like that. Um, probably because they believe that she was once one of them. That's kind of like their central tenet about Gilanon. It's that, oh, well, she was once one of us and she ascended to godhood. So she's the most important elf to ever have ever lived. I think she's almost like their Andraste, which makes Inquisitor Emeridan's shrine to both of them makes so much sense. I think that there are a lot of similarities between the two of them. But anyways, so some of the Dalish sayings or things they believe about Gilanon, I've made a list of them. And so some of them are that she was once a huntress of the elven people, that she was Andriel's chosen, that she was Andriel's beloved, which are different things, um, that she was transformed into the first Hala by Andriel, that she was betrayed by another hunter, and that her name is invoked by Dalish hunters when they struggle to find their way home. So some of those things were mentioned in the Codex entries. Some of them were not. Um, but I wanted to touch on what it means to be a God's chosen and what it means to be their beloved, because those are different things. And so to be their beloved, I mean, that implies a relationship of some kind, whereas their chosen is, is not, it does not necessarily imply a relationship though it can. Um, 
but it just means like, okay, this is a person that follows me, that is a, a, a worshiper of mine that I am elevating above the others. And so we can compare it to Baldur's Gate for a minute because uh, with Gale, with Volo, they're both chosen of Mistra, but Gale was also a beloved of Mistra. So they're, they're different. But they're they're very similar, um, so just just keep that in mind that it said Gilanon was both a beloved and a chosen of Andriel. All right, so those are pretty much all the Dalish beliefs that we know about Gilanon. I know that like in our previous episodes thus far in this season, we've had a lot of things to say about the Dalish, but pretty much from here on out, it's gonna be fewer um, because. The rest of the Evanuris, while they are part of the Pantheon, I just don't think they're worshipped or heralded as much, uh, perhaps, as the big three of uh, Mithal, Elrodon, and Andriel. I may I may want to take that statement back, recant it. Um, I haven't done all the research yet, but I've done a lot of research, and uh, there's just not as much information on the others among the Dalish, so... Anyway, um, we would be remiss in this episode if we did not bring up Tevinter Knights, though. So let's transition into that for a little bit. Um, and this is because there is a chapter titled The Horror of Hormac, which was written by John Epler. And there are major, 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 major Gilanon implications here. So let me sum up the story for us, and then we can break it down. I, um, as an aside... I hated and loved this story so much. Um, it was so scary for me, but also it was it was just really well written and is one of the ones that sticks out to me more than the others. So um, just a little bit of a summary. Essentially, there's something weird going on in a forest and two Grey Wardens who are named Lesha and Ramesh are sent to investigate. They happen upon, quote, a chamber of horrors, which is a kind of creation tank with a bunch of different creatures inside of it. One of the creatures is a terrifying giant centipede that has been merged with the body of another Grey Warden, coincidentally, the love of Ramesh's life, who is a man named Jovis. So it's very traumatic, very sad story. But... What I want to point out is that up to this point in the story, Ramesh and Lesha have discovered like a lot of these merged creatures. And of course, I made another list of the merged creatures that they find throughout this short story. And so there are herlocks with extra arms, shrieks with genlock legs, an emissary, darkspawn emissary with a second head. Herlocks with scorpion tails, Genlocks with avian skulls, emissaries with bat wings, and lastly, there's a drake that has a herlock head. So, if you'll notice a pattern here, there is generally, with one exception, a darkspawn body with an extra part from something else. So it's typically a dark spawn being merged with another type of perhaps non-blighted creature. Now, in addition to 
all of these terrifying creatures, these are pretty similar to how the Gil- uh, how the Codex entries described Gilanon's creatures. And there are also a lot of mosaics and murals in the chamber in the story that depict other creatures who have been merged or spliced together. Again, this is another indication of Gilanon because it's a mosaic and we know that mosaics are tied to the elves. And lastly, there is one more symbol that is repeatedly designed into the columns of the elven chamber that Lesha and Ramesh discover. This symbol, can you guess what it is in the episode where we're talking about Gilanon? That's right. It's a hala. So there are a lot of echoes of Gilanon throughout this story. And I think it's it's pretty clear to me that Epler is insinuating, yep, Gilanon did all this crazy shit. Um, but it's not made explicitly clear. So I'm just kind of curious. What do you think, Austin? Do you think these creations are a result of Gilanon? Yes or no? I think it's likely. I think that one thing that we um, have not really talked about is we have talked about Gilanon's relationship with Andriel, but the fact that Andriel goes mad. Like, that's part of the lore. She goes crazy. A beloved of Andriel, but also, like, her power coming from Andriel. Like, you used Gale as an example, but, like, Gale's power doesn't come from Mistra. True. He gets... He gets his power from the studying of magic that he does versus Will, who gets his power from from Mizora. Yeah. Like it it reads very much like a warlock patron. And perhaps the madness that overtakes Andriel comes to Gilanon through that connection that mm-hmm. they have together. And this is a result of that. My next question is, do you think that this suggests that Gilanon might not be locked away with all the elven gods? So, yeah, I think it it might suggest that. um, At least in our lore that we have gotten forth, there's nothing to say that the Eveners can't influence the material world because there is suggestion that they do. Um. Otherwise, why would why would if the Dalish believe they're locked away? Why would they pray for intervention from the Evaneris? Um, that's fair. I don't know if I don't know if they do believe that though. Hmm. Like, is that a thing that comes from Solus specifically? I remember something because there's there's a bunch of codexes in Dao about the betrayal of Mithal. Yeah, that's true. Um. I don't remember. That's something I would have to do a little bit more research in. Um, But what I would say is that I don't know if it necessarily implies that Gilanon isn't locked away. Um, But what I do think is more likely is that Andriel, when she went hunting in the void, brought the blight back from um, the void. And then the other gods found out about it and made her forget and all this but also, while they were preoccupied with Andriel going to the void, Gilanon is at home, tied up in her creation chamber, messing and creating and building on what Andriel brought back 
And this chamber just so happened to be what we see in the horror of Hormack. And so I think in the story, at least, they've been locked away for a really, really long time. And it just so happened in this last blight that the dark spawn finally came across it again in the deep roads. And that's how all this got unlocked. That's my theory anyway. It's interesting to me. I think it also suggests a different type of experiment. Um, this suggests that the Evanuris might be trying to weaponize Darkspawn. Maybe. Or, again, Gillanon is just being her crazy self and nobody knows about it. That's also possible. Um, I mean, she said she would hunt all her creatures, not that she wouldn't make more. Right, exactly, exactly. She never promises to not make another one. So, anyway, that's about all I've got on Gillanon, but I just wanted to close us out with, if you have any other general thoughts about her, terrifying, vengeful, somebody to look up to, anything else thoughts-wise? I think it's so interesting that so much of her is reduced to Mother of Hala because it's like, yeah, she's the Mother of the Hala, which are these very peaceful, very you know, aesthetically pleasing creatures in Thetis. And then the rest of her lore is like, the hell did I just read? Mm -hmm. It's like that TikTok sound that's like, doom, hellfire upon your enemies. It's like that. Like, it's like prancing through a field with flowers and this cute little deer. And then all of a sudden it's like, don't raise hellfire on you like i don't know it's just such a mm -hmm. such a, a dichotomy here and i do think that perhaps gillanon uses that to her advantage and portrays herself as this innocent creature that is like oh yeah like i was just i just loved you guys so much and worshiped you so much and you came to my rescue you know like i really think she probably plays it off like that so the rest of them underestimate her at least that's, that's what i that's what i would do if i was in her situation um but anyway Let's get into our side character for a little bit. This one's pretty short because we don't know a ton about them, but we're talking about Maneve today. And if you don't know who Maneve is, she is an elven mage scholar who serves as the head creature researcher for the Inquisition. And so I thought that because she was a creature researcher, it's perfect pairing for Gillanon. So... A little bit about Maneve is that we know she was born to a Dalish clan, though we're not sure which one. Um, and at the age of seven, she was cast out of her clan due to her magic manifesting. Apparently, her clan kept a strict limit on the number of mages that could be part of their group as to avoid unwanted attention from humans and Templars. This brings up a little bit of conflict between the clans, I think, because we know that Zathrian's clan had multiple mages. But again, we know that different Dalish clans do things differently. So I'm not sure we can say this is a lore inconsistency. Um, I think it's just a conflict or difference between different groups. So eventually, mm -hmm. after getting cast out, Maneve wanders upon a human village. Of course, she's really shaken and she's hungry and probably cold. 
Um, but when they discovered that she could use magic and she was, they discovered her using her magic to repel away woodland creatures from the village. So helping the village, the villagers tried to kill her. Um, this is when this Templar stepped in, saved her life and took her to the circle. So Maneve isn't particularly gifted at magic. And so she spends most of her time in the circle studying as an apprentice. She speculates that she was probably around a year or so from undergoing her harrowing. And so when the circles rebelled, she gathered a small group of tranquil with her and fled. She was protecting the tranquil, trying to look after them, make sure none of them died in the process or were killed. And so eventually they found themselves under the protection of Cassandra. And so when the Inquisition was officially formed, she was then appointed as the head creature researcher. Um, you can find her in Haven's Chantry in the room to the left of the war room in the room with Josie's office. During the attack on Haven, you can rescue her. She's pinned down under a cart near Adon. And... If she survives, you can find her wandering around Skyhold, but unfortunately, she does get replaced by a tranquil mage named Helisma Darrington because Maneve has gone back to focusing on her own studies. Um, I'm not really sure why they made this choice unless they just made it as an easy way of saying like, okay, well, Maneve can die in some playthroughs, so we'll just make it easy. And no matter what happens, she gets replaced at Skyhold. And if she lives, she's still there. And if not, she's not. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It uh, really makes me laugh. The like different reasons they give for all these people who you can save and the difference they have like there's one I can't remember. I think it's the quartermaster or whatever. And uh -huh. then they're like, oh, we got rid of her because she's racist. Well, and a Logan sympathizer specifically. Yeah. Like she I th I don't think she actually says Logan did nothing wrong, but like that's her attitude, which is insane to say in Haven of all places. Like, bro. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, the only place worse to say that would be Denerum or Ostagar, I feel like. Maybe the Kuzland fortress, but whatever. Anyway, so that's about all we have with Maeve. I have some fun facts and quotes first before we end the episode. But if you have anything else you want to share about Maeve before we get into that stuff, now would be great. Um, this is like a mechanic thing. If you find yourself like having struggling with inventory, like you have inventory slots, but you can't like store anything or you can't do that, go see Maneve and turn in all that research because not only will it clear your inventory, you'll get a buttload of XP for it too. Yes, yes. Yeah, I forgot that was a mechanic in the game, Loki. <laughs> But unfortunately, I don't really have an opinion on Maneve other than I wish she wasn't replaced because I feel like we would just probably know more about her otherwise. Um, and that, I think, is always my refrain. Like, I want to know more. I want to know more about this person. Um, but the one thing that I think is actually really interesting about Maneve is her opinion on the Templars because it's not the traditional like what you would expect a mage to think. So I have an exchange here um, between Maneve and the Inquisitor. I will read the Maneve lines if you would be so willing to read the Inquisitor lines, Austin. Okay. Uh, why did you decide to research dangerous creatures? 
I liked the outdoors, the idea of the outdoors anyway. When some monster is coming at you, glowing eyes and burning claws, it's terrifying. But once you know how it works, you can deal with it. It's just another part of the world. So much of the world is only frightening because we don't understand it. I'm surprised that even an apprentice mage wouldn't join the rebellion. I don't like using magic to fight. I'm not good at it either. I like studying. I liked performing rituals that helped us unlock the secrets of the veil. And I liked having the Templars around to help keep us safe. Most circle mages I've met have different opinions of the Templars. They have not lived my life. I love this interaction for a lot of reasons. It reminds us that there are a lot of people between Anders and Nightmander Meredith. Like if we're going to put them as the extremes. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of people that fall between that spectrum and in different ways. And they're these everyday people are the ones who get hurt by this conflict in the end. Like, I mean, yes, mages and Templars do get hurt in different ways. They're all victims of the oppressive chantry. But I just think that like this idea of like, I don't want to go around swinging fireballs. I just want to read about these animals. Mm-hmm. Um But I also love her philosophy of much of the world is only frightening because we don't understand it. That's how I tend to live my life of let's understand something. Let's understand even like a belief that I think is wrong. Let's understand where that's coming from, because understanding is how we we come to move past it. Mm hmm. And I think magic is a lot of that. There's a lot that the everyday Fedosian doesn't know about magic. And there's a lot of fear, mainly perpetuated by the Chantry. I appreciate the attention to detail to include a person like this in the game. Yeah, I very much agree with that. And I think that she is a really good reminder that like, no, not all of the Templars are evil. Yes, there are templars who are trying to do their best it is a deeply flawed irreparably broken system absolutely but that doesn't negate the individual people that are still working to make it better and who are still treating the people around them with as much kindness as they can um that doesn't erase the oppression and the injustice of it all but it is a good reminder that like no not every templar should be shot and killed like there are Templars out there who are not completely evil. Um, and that's that's important because a lot of times we just end up focusing on the injustice of the mages. Um, so moving on a little bit to our last little segment here is that I do have a few little fun facts about Maneve. And first, obviously, as we've just discussed, she did not want to leave the circle. Um, she was a proponent for the circles. Um, secondly, is that she does not have any Valisleen because she was cast out of her clan as a child. And lastly, is that there are a number, quite a few codex entries that are written by Maneve. Um, Some of these include the Black Wolf, the Wolf, and the Researcher codex entries. So she is an author as well. And that's all I got for today. Um, thank you so much. I loved all of this. It was a great research. Thanks for bringing it to us to talk about. Um, this is very interesting. I look forward to our next Elven God to talk about. Um, thank you all for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast, and we'll see you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at DA Lorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, join our Cups Podcasting and More Discord server. It's easily the best place on the internet. You can also support us financially through our Patreon. You can find us there on patreon.com slash dragonagelorecast. The Dragon Age Lorecast is part of the Robots Radio Network. For more information about the Robots Radio Network, join the Discord server via the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed the show or learned something new today, please subscribe, leave us a review, and join the Patreon. And if you enjoyed our intro and outro music, give a big thank you to Pipe Man Studios. Thank you, Pipe Man. Thanks again for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. We'll see you next time. When a wasteland detective and a vault girl cross paths, no criminal is safe. You're both under arrest. Don't move a muscle if you know what's good for you. Based in Bethesda's Fallout series, follow Walter and Bunny as they traverse the Texas Commonwealth and New Vegas, busting big crime rings. We'll need all we can to expand into Vegas territory. And surviving anything the wasteland can throw at them. It's him! It's the Mothman! Featuring a series of nail-biting narratives and guest stars from across the Fallout community. It's anybody's guess what thrilling case is up next. War never changes, does it, Bonnie? No, it certainly does not. True Vault Escapades, a Fallout audio drama. Available anywhere you get podcasts. Podcasts.